Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. You're listening to Dr. Paul Kanger, professor of political science at Grove City College, giving a talk entitled 11 Principles of a Reagan Conservative. This talk is part of the Veritas Center for Ethics and Public Life series at Franciscan University of Steubenville. So I wanted to talk to you today about uh, Reagan conservatism and Roman Catholicism and the, and the comparisons between the two. The, the way that this book developed, I was, we had a conference, we have an annual conference at Grove City College every April, the Center for Vision and Values. And we did, I guess it was in 2011, we did a conference on progressivism. So then in 2012, we did a conference on conservatism. And you know, me, like other people who usually come and do papers at the conference and do talks, I was expected to do a talk on conservatism. And they said to me, well, you need to do a talk on Reagan conservatism. I said, ah, I'm tired of talking about Reagan. I talk about Reagan all the time. It's all I do is talk about Reagan. You know, can I do maybe Whitaker Chambers or maybe, you know, maybe, um, you know, is George W. Bush a conservative? Well, you know, it's a good topic, right? Good topic. They said, no, 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 you're the Reagan guy. You've got to tell us what a Reagan conservative is. Everybody's always saying you know, that they're a Reagan conservative. What, what does that mean? You're the guy to lay it out. I said, all right, okay, no, one, no one's done that before. So I came up with, I think at that point, seven, eight, nine principles of a Reagan conservative. And a number of people heard, heard that talk, asked me to give it elsewhere. I gave it at CPAC. I gave it to the annual New Jersey Reagan Day dinner in Parsippany, New Jersey. There were about 1,200 people at that. And, and people told me you should turn this into a small book. Most of my books have been you know, 600 pages, 400 pages. My colleague, Lee Wishing, said, can't you write a, a shorter book for just once, a shorter book? So, so we did this, did this shorter book. And those 11 principles, which, uh, which I lay out there, I'll read some of them here just off the top of my head. They are uh, freedom, faith, family, limited government, sanctity and dignity of human life, lower taxes, the founder's wisdom and vision, American exceptionalism, anti-communism, belief in the individual. Now, as I was going through those and laying them all out and detailing them and, and providing Reagan quotes and so forth, I realized at one point in the project, really toward, toward the end, how remarkably Catholic a lot of, a lot of these are. And I don't come out and say that explicitly in the book, but a lot of people who read the book said, boy, you quote a number of different Catholic thinkers in here. And, and, it, and it's because Reagan's thinking was so remarkably similar. I spoke here a couple years ago, uh, Dr. Campton Wright, I think it was fall maybe of 2013, 2012, and I laid out Reagan's relationship with John Paul II. I've given a talk a number of times on how Reagan and Catholics won the Cold War. All the Catholics that worked with Reagan, Reagan had a number of top Catholic, uh, top speechwriters who were Catholic. Peggy Noonan, uh, Tony Dolan, who wrote the Evil Empire speech. Tony Dolan, who headed the Reagan speechwriting department, was a very devout Catholic, still is. Uh, Peter Robinson, anyone know who Peter Robinson was? Which speech Peter Robinson wrote? Peter Robinson wrote the Tear Down This Wall speech, Brandenburg Gate speech, converted to Catholicism while he was working for Reagan. Reagan's top national security advisor, Bill Clark, very devout Catholic. I ended up becoming his biographer, got to know him so well. Reagan's CIA director, Bill Casey, devout Catholic. Uh, Al Haig, Reagan's first secretary of state, 
Catholic. In fact, Al Haig's brother is a, is a Catholic priest, and he's, he's still around. He's, he's probably close to 90 by, by now. Reagan's brother, Neil, who was Reagan's only sibling, became a, such a devout Catholic, he became a daily communicant at the end of his life, as did his wife. And his wife just died, was it Betsy? She died about two years ago, 100, 102 years old. She was a daily communicant. Reagan's first wife, Jane Wyman, became a daily communicant. Jane Wyman was a Fulton Sheen convert. Ronald Reagan's son, Michael Reagan, the one who believes in God, is, is now Catholic as well. So Reagan was surrounded by all these different Catholics who worked with him, that he worked with, worked with them to change the world, met with Mother Teresa, met with Cardinal Cook, met with John Paul II all the time, had a really great relationship with John Paul II. So, so we know all about that with Reagan and Catholics. But here I was laying out Reagan's core guiding principles, what made him tick, what made him think the way that he did. And I look at all of these and, and I'm struck at, at just how Catholic they are. Okay, so, such as. Now, some of these are um, explicitly political principles that you can't say are Catholic at all, right? I mean, lower taxes. I don't know if a Catholic church encyclical on lower taxes, right? If anybody does, please, please let me know. I want to read that. Uh, peace through strength, one of the 11 Reagan core principles. Never heard a, a church statement on that one. The founders' wisdom and vision. In a sense, it probably had a lot of things in common with some of the founders, but I don't know that that's explicitly Catholic. American exceptionalism. I haven't heard any speeches from uh, Pope Francis on American exceptionalism, although one of the popes who was big on American exceptionalism, Pope Pius XII, Reagan loved a Pope Pius XII quote, which was published in Collier's Magazine in 1946, which said, into the hands of America, God has placed a, God has placed a loving man, in, into the hands of America, um, God has placed mankind, the protective hands of America. Reagan loved that. And when Reagan would make his statements on American exceptionalism, he would constantly quote that Pope Pius XII remark. He did it throughout his presidency a bunch of times. I found Reagan first quoting that back in the 1950s, of all things. All right. Now that said, though, here are, here are the, the core Reagan principles that are very Catholic that I'll go over depending on how much time we have. Freedom and faith, family, sanctity and dignity of human life, limited government, anti-communism and belief in the individual. All right, the first of these, the freedom-faith relationship. You hear any group or gathering of conservatives today and they're talking about freedom, right? Freedom, 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 freedom. It's like this mantra. I was at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, a few weeks ago, and you just hear that all the time. Freedom, freedom, freedom. I have a, I have a coffee mug from a, a conservative organization which quotes Ray, Ronald Reagan on freedom. But the problem with this is that being a conservative, being a Reagan conservative, isn't just about believing in freedom. If, if freedom alone is your highest priority, you know, to sort of borrow here from Pope Francis, there can be an, an idolatry of freedom where you practically worship freedom and hold it above all as your highest value and highest principle. That's what libertarians do. Libertarians are all about freedom, freedom, freedom. The conservative, the conservative marries faith with freedom, and so does the Catholic Church. 
the Catholic Church understands that as well, that freedom without faith, freedom is rudderless. Faith provides the moral rudder to freedom, right? It's, it's, when, it's, when, our freedom is in, it's when, when our freedom is infused with faith, our free will that really elevates us to our, to our better angels, right? You, you need the two. On that, uh, I mean, freedom alone begets license, moral anarchy, vice. If you just have freedom alone, you're aspiring to Las Vegas, not, not the city of God. On this, Ronald Reagan. Here is um, <clears throat> well, uh, John Paul II. John Paul II and, uh, and Pope Benedict both. I'll quote them first. Pope Benedict said that the West suffers from a confused ideology of freedom. The West suffers from a confused ideology of freedom. One that has unleashed a modern, what, dictatorship of relativism, as he put it. Pope John Paul II, without the rock and rudder of of faith, freedom can become confused, perverse, and can even lead to the destruction of freedom for others. Right? You could think of examples of that. New Testament, Galatians 5.13, 5.14. For you were called for freedom, brothers, but do not use your freedom as opportunities for the flesh. Rather, serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Russell Kirk, who was a very important conservative intellectual spokesperson, philosopher. Russell Kirk wrote a book in 1974 called The Roots of American Order. And Kirk said that you need to have internal order of yourself before you can have external order in in a country. Reagan quoted George Washington all the time. And one of Reagan's, Reagan said that the most sublime image in American history is the image of George Washington on his knees in the snows of, in the snow of Valley Forge. Why? Quote, because it, perfo- it personified a people who knew that it was not enough to depend on their own courage and goodness. They must also seek help from God, their father, and their preserver. Reagan loved a quote from Lincoln where Lincoln said, I'm often driven to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I have nowhere else to go. That was Bill Clark the Catholic who worked for Reagan, that was one of his favorite quotes. He said Reagan would say that all the time. I'm often driven to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I have nowhere else to go. Reagan gave a speech at Georgetown in October 1988, 200th anniversary of Georgetown. It's, no one knows about it. No one ever talks about it. I, I reprint it in the back of the book. The book was so thin that the publisher said, well, you should pick some speeches to put in here and make it a... You, you, know, you really overdid it on wanting to do a short book. This one's really short, so put some speeches in the back. And I said, sure, I've got, I've got one speech in particular I want, to put, I want to put in Reagan's speech to Georgetown in 1988. I said, what's that? Never heard of it. All right, Reagan said this. At its full flowering, freedom is the first principle of society, of this society, Western society. And yet, here we go, freedom cannot exist alone. And that's why the theme for your bicentennial, Georgetown, is so apt. Learning, faith, and freedom. Each reinforces the other. Each makes the others possible. What are they without each other? And he said this. He quoted Alexis de Tocqueville. 
who wrote the 19th century classic, what? Democracy in America, 1835. Tocqueville said it in 1835, and it's as true today as it was then. Despotism may govern without faith, but liberty cannot, right? Tyrants may govern without faith, but liberty cannot. Religion is more needed in democratic societies than in any other. Why? Because you have the freedom. You have the freedom to do almost anything that you want. That's why you need the moral rudder, the guiding force of faith. And that's what really worries me about the country today. As we become more secular, more secular progressive, and I mean, look at right now, we're talking to today, the Hobby Lobby Conestoga Woods case. It's a total misunderstanding of freedom, completely. And when you jettison the faith component, you're gonna have a freedom that leads to a lot of problems. Faith is needed more in democratic societies than in any other. Reagan warned, learning is a good thing, but unless it's tempered by love, by faith and a love of freedom, it can be very dangerous indeed. The names of many intellectuals are recorded on the rolls of infamy, from Robespierre to Lenin to Ho Chi Minh to Pol Pot. Reagan said that faith and freedom are the twin beacons that lighten the American sky. And, and that if you, learning is about learning this vital relationship between faith and freedom. And I would argue here, although I'm preaching to the choir at this college, a, a genuine higher education is one where you learn about this crucial relationship between faith and freedom. And in all of the universities across the country where they're not learning that, that's a big problem. That's a major disservice. And the students there are wasting their money. And the parents in particular, especially the Catholic parents who send them, their kids, I get all the time parents who will say, Susie is now at this college, as you know, this you know, highly ranked secular college, and it's such a hostile place to religion, so she decided to take a religion course in the fall. And it's taught by an atheist. So, well, of course it's taught by an atheist. <laughs> Uh, of course, uh, of course it's taught by an atheist. Would you, would you, would you think they're gonna get you know, Orthodox Catholic catechism there? I mean, of course it is. All right, so that's, um, that's one. That's the Reagan conservatism relationship between faith and freedom. Again, Pope Benedict, John Paul II, I think they'd agree with, with that formulation. Family, family. The very trinity that Ronald Reagan worshiped, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, is itself a family, right? Reagan said that the family, by the way, this was one of the last principles that I added to the book. As I was going through, I thought I knew all that, I, that had to be known about Reagan, and I started going through it. I realized this guy said an enormous amount about the family. By the way, I was compelled to really look at that when about a year ago, Ronald Reagan's daughter, Patty, came out and publicly said that she thinks that her father wouldn't have stood in the way of gay marriage, that he would basically support gay marriage. And I said, oh, wait a second. I, I mean, I never <laughs> came across that anywhere. More, more on that in a second. Reagan said that the family is, quote, the most basic unit of society. It is the most important unit in society. It is the most durable of all institutions. It is the nucleus of civilization. And here you, you, could, you could take Pope Benedict on the way up. I was listening to 
his talk on the solemnity of, of, the, um, of, the, of the Assumption Annunciation. And a few years ago, Our Lady of Cobre in Cuba, and he talked about the family as the, as the fundamental cell in society, as he put it. The compendium of the social doctrine of the Catholic Church, right, talks about the vitality of the family. There's a section called Family, the Vital Cell of Society, right? Family, the Vital Cell of Society. Reagan said the family is the cornerstone of society, the engine of social progress. Families stand at the center of society as the very foundation of freedom. And children, said Reagan, belong in a family. Belong in a family. Would Reagan have supported uh, same-sex marriage? In Ronald Reagan's time, nobody supported same-sex marriage. All right? Nobody. Twenty years ago, nobody supported same-sex marriage. The entirety of the Democratic Party and the Clintons supported the Defense of Marriage Act in 1993, 20 years ago. All right, 30 years ago when Reagan was president, I'm telling you, you ain't gonna find a Reagan quote anywhere supporting same-sex marriage. All right, you're, you're, just, you're, you're simply not. Among the Reagan statements that I found was one of the final formal proclamations of his presidency, January 12, 1989. This is right after Reagan gives his wonderful, um, eloquent farewell address, which was written by Peggy Noonan. And I reprint that in the back of the book as well. It's just a terrific, really inspiring speech. But still, even after he says farewell to the public, he issues this proclamation on the family. We must teach youngsters the beauty, listen how he's defining marriage, the beauty of the loving, lifelong relationship between husband and wife that is marriage. Loving, lifelong relationship between husband and wife that is marriage. That's, that's how he saw it. I got emailed the other day. I did, I did the Mark Levin show on the radio, and, and uh, it's one of those deals where this is what I get. I felt like I did a pretty good job. I went and I told my wife, I said, oh, that was really good. He kept me on longer. He was going to have me on for eight minutes. He had me on for a half an hour. Really great. And I, go and, I, and I go and I check my email, and I've got one guy telling me that I'm going to hell for what I said on the Levin show. In fact, he gave me, he gave me a 12-point plan on how I could get out of hell. And he told me to go directly to point 10, I could follow that. So that was one email I got. And then the other called me a, called me a, a recalcitrant liar for, for saying that, uh, that Ronald Reagan um, wouldn't have supported same-sex marriage. And so I shared this quote with him. This was Ronald Reagan speaking March 1980 to the Los Angeles Times. Homosexuality is an alternative lifestyle which I do not believe society can condone, nor can I. When he's pressed on this by Robert Shearer, the interviewer, well, why do you believe that? Reagan said, well, you could find that in the Bible it says that in the eyes of the Lord, this is an abomination. Now, that was standard thinking at the time, right? That was, that was standard thinking. And Reagan, as a conservative, believed in biblical law, natural law, and conservatives, in fact, this is good for people who are conservative who are struggling with debating the same-sex marriage issue, I try to tell my students, talk, when you talk to people who disagree with you on this, try to explain to them, it's not that conservatives are mean and bad, and they want to tell people who love each other that they can't come together and, and so forth. Conservatives believe in conserving and preserving the time-tested values and ideals that have sustained over time for good reason. A conservative would not, would not just go and suddenly 
because the culture is into it, go out and redefine marriage contrary to biblical and natural law and thousands of years of tradition. That is not what a conservative would do. A progressive who, who is constantly changing and redefining things would do that. I mean, they don't, they don't know where they're going. 20 years ago, progressives supported same, uh, uh, what do you call it now, traditional marriage. Um, now, 20 years later, they support same-sex marriage. You don't know where they're going to be in 20 years. But the conservative believes in these time-tested values and ideals. And, and same-sex marriage is not a time-tested value and ideal at, at all. Reagan said that marriage has been with us since the dawn of human history. And he pondered, quote, what each of us can do as a father, daughter, mother, son, or grandparent, as a member of a family, to strengthen this divine institution. He called it a divine institution, right? Pretty clear. Taking it to an even higher level, Ronald Reagan said we should look to, quote, that one holy family, unquote. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, the calm of one still night long ago of a family, father, mother, and newborn child. That was his, was his definition of the family. Mother and father, he said, come together to create the next generation of citizens, to create children, that the, that the family is the teaching center of society. It's the family where these ideas, where, where over time, values and ideals are passed on to the next generation, which is true. And one of the things, again, that really concerns me about the culture today, because the family is falling apart. And there aren't even common ideals and values in the family today. So are these even being passed on among families? In reading Reagan's stuff on the family, and that's just a very small amount right there, I, I read this, it sounded so much like Catholic teaching, like John Paul II teaching on the family, that I, that I thought, did Reagan read Catholic documents on the family? Did he read John Paul II documents on the family? To my knowledge, he's nowhere saying that he did, but one day when I was at the Reagan Ranch in California, in Santa Barbara, I found this on his bookshelf. This is just a copy of the actual publication. The Family in the Modern World, a symposium on Pope John Paul II's Familiaris Consortio edited by Carl Anderson and William, uh, William J. Gribben. This is the bookshelf at the Reagan Ranch is, is a small one. It's not a big one. You have here contributions by, let's see, Andre uh, Poltovsky, Person in the Family in the Thought of Carol Wojtyla. Marriage in the Family in the Thought of Carol Wojtyla by Carlo Cafara. I don't know him. The Political Economy of the Family, Catholic Thought on Family and Policy, John Paul II's Familiaris Consortio by James Hitchcock, Catholicism, Work, and Family Justice. So I think I could say that Reagan probably read some Catholic teaching on, on the family. One more thought on this. The family versus the state. Reagan said that we need to especially be careful of the state intervening and hurting the family. And he said the, the government's relationship to the family should, quote, be first of all this, do no harm. 
You should, the state should, should seek to do no harm to the family. And that too, look at the compendium of, of the social doctrine of the Catholic Church. In fact, sections 213, 214. The priority of the family over society and over the state must be affirmed. The state should not do damage to the family. All right, sanctity and dignity of human life. This was very close to, to the heart of Ronald Reagan. And I found Reagan again and again referring to the right to life as the most fundamental of all freedoms, the first of all freedoms, without which other freedoms and other rights can't exist. Which sounds, there are Reagan statements on that that sound like they were literally taken verbatim from Evangelium Vitae. They really do. Here's President Reagan in 1983. My administration is dedicated to the preservation of America as a free land. All right. And there is no, more, there is no cause more important than, uh, for preserving that freedom than affirming the transcendent right to life of all human beings, the right without which no other rights have any meaning. Sounds like it could, could come right out of the catechism. Reagan favored a human life amendment to the Constitution which uh, that would have inserted into the Constitution these words. Think about this. And by the way, remember at the time, and, and Daniel, some of you guys may remember that at the time, a lot of even pro-lifers said, well, we don't need to mess with the Constitution. We don't need a human life amendment. We, just, we don't need to do that. Here's what Reagan wanted to insert into the Constitution, this, this amendment. The paramount right to life is vested in each human being from when? From the moment of fertilization, from the moment of fertilization, that's a Protestant speaking on that, without regard to age, health, or condition, or dependency. He favored uh, providing every human being at all stages of development, protecting them as quote-unquote persons with the right to life under the 14th Amendment. Think of if they would have passed that. If they had passed that, then the Obama HHS mandate that's in court right now would have been flat out unconstitutional from the outset. It would have violated the, the Human Life Amendment to the Constitution. Reagan made this statement, January 1984 speech, God's most blessed gift to his family is a gift of life. He sent us the Prince of Peace as a babe in the manger. This nation fought a terrible war so that black Americans would be guaranteed their God-given rights. Abraham Lincoln recognized that we could not survive as a free land when some could decide when others should be free or slaves. Well, today another question begs to be asked. Imagine the pro this took courage to say this. New York Times went nuts when he said this. How can we survive as a free nation when some decide that others are not fit to live and should be done away with? I believe no challenge is more important to the character of America than restoring the right to life of all human beings, which again, he defines as moment of fertilization. Without that right, no other rights have meaning. And then he just said this. He didn't say who the quote was from. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. And the New York Times editorialized that the real bondage is, uh, quote, the law's refusal to let women decide whether or not to bear a child until the Supreme Court read this basic liberty into the Constitution, unquote. Reagan just shrugged. That's the New York Times. That's what, that's what you expect them to say. 
1986 State of the Union speech. Well, he's making these statements at a time when he's being told by his advisors, don't talk about the right to life. This is going to kill us with the women's vote. We got to get reelected here in 1984. You're out comparing this to slavery. Reagan won 49 out of 50 states after saying that for four years. 1986 State of the Union speech, uh, State of the Union address. Today there is a wound in our national conscience. America will never be whole as long as the right to life granted by our Creator is denied to the unborn. Said that in a State of the Union speech. Here's one of my favorites. This, no one knows about this. It's a July, one of these things I found at the Reagan Library. It's a July 1987 speech that Ronald Reagan gave to pro-life leaders. And he gives it in a, in a room in the White House. There's like maybe, there are um, less people in here than, than right now. Uh, no, there are probably about 20, 30 people. And Reagan meets with this group and he says, many of you perhaps never dreamed of getting involved in politics. This describes my mother-in-law. He's basically saying, you're dragged into this because people are assaulting your pro-life convictions. And they're telling you to stay out. But you stayed out and look at what they did. And now that you've come in to try to protect the unborn, they're telling you to get out. Many of you have been attacked for being single-issue activists or single-issue voters, but I ask, what single issue could it be, be of greater significance? Reagan said, if you're unsure when life begins, you should err in a way that protects life. Doesn't that make sense? Well, I'm not exactly sure. Well, then why don't you err on the side of protecting life? If there's even a question about when human life begins, isn't it our duty to err on the side of life? And then he closes his speech by reaching into his pocket, pulling out a note, a letter, and it says this. I'd like to leave you with a quotation that means a great deal to me. These are the words of my friend, the late Terence Cardinal Cook of New York. The gift of life, God's special gift, is no less beautiful when it's accompanied by illness or weakness, hunger or poverty, mental or physical handicaps, loneliness or old age. As he's saying this, people behind him on the podium are crying. Indeed, at these times, human life gains extra splendor as it requires our special care, concern, and reverence. It is in and through the weakest of human vessels that the Lord continues to reveal the power of his love. That's Terence Cardinal Cook. Reagan had, uh, Reagan had met with Cardinal Cook on Good Friday, April 1981, after Reagan was almost assassinated. He was feeling really down, needed uplifted, and he called for a priest. And he called for Cardinal Cook. And Cardinal Cook flew down from New York and visited with him. And, and Cardinal Cook said, you've been spared. Your life has been spared for a reason. And Reagan said, I know it is. I know it has been. It's, it's to do God's will. Good Friday, 1981. Two years later, when Cardinal Cook was on his deathbed, Reagan came and showed up, came into the room, and Cook said, Mr. President, you didn't have to do this. You're such a busy man. Why are you here? And Reagan said, well, you, well, you were there for me. You were there for me. A few weeks after April 1981, when, when Cardinal Cook met with Reagan at the White House, Mother Teresa did as well. Mother Teresa had a couple of nuns with her, and she said, Mr. President, do you know we stayed up all night praying for you the night after you were shot? And, and she said, you've been shown the grace of the cross. There's a reason why you've been spared. 
and uh, and Reagan got teary-eyed, and Nancy just started sobbing. She was so so moved by that. All right, so that's Reagan on on uh, human life, unborn human life. A couple others. Limited government, limited government. All right, listen carefully here. Um, conservatives are not anti-government. Uh, conservatives should not be anti-government. All right, conservatives favor smaller government, limited government. They're against nanny state, cradle to grave, womb to tomb government. They're against excessive, overly intrusive government. They want the government to stick to the things that, that, they, that they really do. Conservatives believe that government has a role in preserving freedom and also in protecting order and providing some government services. All right, Reagan, Reagan said in his, in his inaugural address, his inaugural, which he wrote himself, quote, it's not my intention to do away with government. It's not my intention to do away with it. Now, he also said some other things, including the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help, right? I'm from the government and I'm here to help. But, but Reagan said, the, at, at the same time, also said in the inaugural address, that in this current crisis, in this present crisis, Government is not the solution. Government is the problem. But he said, in this current crisis, in this current crisis, by the way, which is completely different from Barack Obama, who in February 2009, right after he became president, said, quote, the federal government is the only entity left with the resources to jolt our economy back into life. It is only government that can break the vicious cycle where lost jobs lead to people spending less money, which leads to even more layoffs. So you have, you go from Reagan, um, government is the problem, not the solution, to Obama saying it is only government. And by the way, in between, Bill Clinton agreeing with essentially Reagan saying the era of big government is over. And most Americans still today, if you look at a poll done by Gallup just a few weeks ago, still distrust big government. They just vote in a completely contrary way for president. So the, the, what they believe doesn't always stack up with, with how they vote. Reagan said in his Time for Choosing speech, October 1964, and I, I think this quote, this defines conservatism very well. Outside of its legitimate functions, government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy. But Reagan is saying there that the government has legitimate functions. Reagan was a governor, he said, what we really need is a proper balance between, okay, you guys are with me? Public sector and private sector, helping with poverty, helping with different problems, state and federal government, local and national government. We don't want too much centralized in Washington. We should try to keep a balance. There are things that states do better than the federal government. Some things are, are handled much better locally near the problem. Basically here, Reagan's philosophy is precisely the Catholic teaching of what? Subsidiarity. I don't know if Reagan ever even heard the word. And in fact, I don't know, uh, Steve, maybe, it wasn't used as much in the 80s, in the early 80s, right? The only time I tell the students I can remember, most recently and stuff, the only time I can remember way back at that time that it was used in a prominent way, 1992 Republican National Convention, Bill Bennett, he did. Okay. So, I mean, it would be, Reagan was extremely well-read 
but th the term wasn't as common back then. I never heard it until um, mid-1990s. That was the first time that I heard the term. But people ask me now, well, how would you really describe Reagan on government, the proper role and everything? It's a, a subsidiarity. That's really what Reagan believed. That really, that really is it. All right, a couple of others. I'll go through these much more quickly. Anti-communism. Reagan said that totalitarian communism is an absolute enemy of human freedom. There is nothing more anti-freedom than pure communism. Reagan lit up communists, communism, said it was an evil, called it an evil empire. May 1975 commentary, Reagan called communism a disease. Mankind has survived all manners of evil diseases and plagues, but can it survive communism? He said, communism is neither an economic or a political system. It is a form of insanity. And by the way, if you think it's overdoing it, the communism could be compared to a disease. Communist governments from 1917, when the Bolshevik Revolution took over till the end of the 20th century, killed 100 to 140 million people. World War I killed less than 10 million. World War II killed about 50 million. You take World War I and World War II combined, and then double them. And only then are you getting close to the total number of people killed by communist governments. So that's not, that's not totally out of bounds to say that. The Russians have told us over and over again, said Reagan, their goal is to impose their incompetent and ridiculous system on the world. And worse than that, it was a system that killed people, it repressed basic liberties, it squashed religious rights, and, and, and on top of that, they wanted to spread it around the world. It was, it was godless communism, as he referred to it, over and over and over again. And the Soviet Union, he said, March 8th, 1983, is the focus of evil in the modern world. Now that, Reagan was ridiculed for all of it, but I didn't know this as a Protestant until I really started reading John Paul II and reading Catholic stuff in, in the 1990s. But the only institution that I think ever outdid Reagan in describing communism as evil was the Roman Catholic Church. Read, read, read uh, Divini Redemptoris on Atheistic Communism, 1931. It describes communism as a satanic scourge of monstrous evil. I mean, there are, Reagan couldn't hold a candle to the <laughs> statements about communism in that speech. Or some of the comments about from Pope Pius X, the 11th, the 12th, any, any of these folks. I'm right now working on a book on Ronald Reagan, John Paul II, and Mikhail Gorbachev, and I've had to uh, go back and read the two or three biographies I read a few years ago on Fulton Sheen, who was so absolutely, utterly prophetic. And over and over again, reading Fulton Sheen's statements and warnings about communism, I think I'm reading Reagan. And, and, and I wondered, as I was reading Fulton Sheen, if Reagan bought or owned any of those books. And I, I haven't seen him at the Reagan Ranch, but Fulton Sheen was very, very popular. And when he was number one on TV in the 1950s, there were only two or three stations on TV. And by the way, opposite him on one of the nights, not the same time, was the host of GE Theater named Ronald Reagan, who would also use the GE Theater platform to make some anti-communist statements. So Reagan would no question have watched, at least on occasion, and heard Fulton Sheen. They were both from Western Illinois. Fulton Sheen from, uh, ended up in the Peoria Diocese. Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan's just up the road from Peoria. 
uh, Eureka College, Dixon, Illinois, Tampico, Illinois, they're, they're just up the road north from, from Peoria. In fact, when I drive out there to go to Dixon and the other places, I, I usually stop in Peoria and then eventually go, go up through that way. They were, um, they were both born like, in an apartment above a shoe store, or whatever, you know, tiny, tiny small town. So, so you know, these, these two men are very much alike. I got, a, I got a call a couple years ago from the woman who heads the Fulton Sheen, what is it, museum in, I think it's El Paso, Illinois, I believe. And she wanted to know, she asked me, she said, I think you're one of the only people that would know this. Do you know if Ronald Reagan and Fulton Sheen ever met? I said, I've been trying to figure this out for years. And so I, I put in a call to Nancy Reagan, Nancy Reagan's secretary, Joanne Drake, who's wonderful and always, anything that I want asked, she asks Mrs. Reagan. And, and, and I asked if they, if they ever met, if Reagan ever met Fulton Sheen. She said, not to her knowledge. She didn't know, but, but it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have surprised me. All right, one more that brings all of these together, one more core principle. Belief in the individual, belief in the individual. There's a lot that I could say about this, but Reagan had just the highest respect and esteem for the individual person. Um, from the womb to the tomb, he said this over and over again, you know, Barack Obama constantly uses the word collective. In Dreams from My Father, you, you have, which his, his memoirs, the word collective is used over and over and over and over again. Uh, as president, he's talked about our collective action, in the last day of the Union speech, he mentioned, our, as he put it, our collective shoulder. And Obama has even used the term our collective salvation on behalf of what he called redistributive change in order to fundamentally transform the country. Totally opposite of, of, of Reagan on this. One of the best examples of Reagan articulating this belief, August 1983, gives a speech in Atlanta. Another Reagan speech no, no one knows about. And he quotes there a theologian. He doesn't say who the theologian was. It, was. it was Father Theodore Hesburgh of Notre Dame. And he says that um, these rights, the inalienable rights of America, they are corollaries of the great proposition at the heart of Western civilization, he's quoting Hesburgh, that every person is a race sacra. This is, this is Latin. It's spelled R-E-S. S-A-C-R-A, sacra, res, R-E-S, sacra. Every person is a race sacra, a sacred reality, and as such is entitled to the opportunity of fulfilling those great human potentials with which God has given man. All right, Reagan believed, as he put it, that this was an eternal principle. Reagan argued, and this is so, this I think is, gets to the, the nub of Reagan conservatism, and it's so contrary to so much of modern progressive thought, Reagan said that the individual is more important than the state, incomparably more important than the state. Why? Because the individual has a soul. The state does not. Because the individual has a soul, the individual is eternal. States are not eternal. They come and go. And so for any state, especially a communist state like the Soviet Union, to try to deny people religion and the right to nurture their soul is the ultimate abomination because they're denying the soul its eternal justice, its eternal, its eternal reward. So I hear all the time folks making the argument on the modern secular progressive side that you know, this individual, well, there, there are too many people out there 
as is. They're going to be a drain on the world's precious limited resources. There's only so many resources out there. There are so many, so many mouths the government can feed. You have all these people that we got to redistribute income to to take, to take care of. Um, at some point, maybe the individual should be just simply left allowed to die, especially if they become a drain on the state's bills, if the state takes over health care. Reagan would have said that the individual is more important than the state. But it costs the state so much money, and you know, she's had a long life. No, the individual is more important than the state, period, period. To, to, the, uh, to a conservative, said Reagan, every individual is special, unique, and a potential producer with values and dreams and ideas. Every new human life isn't a drain on limited resources that's a taker. They can produce more. They can come up with ideas and innovation. If, it if the individual becomes a farmer somewhere, they think of the hundreds if not thousands of people that they can feed if given the freedom to do so. You know, to borrow from John Paul II, every individual is special, unique, and unrepeatable. Unrepeatable. All right, I gotta wrap it up. Um, but Catholics have always, uh, by and large, with exception, like Ronald Reagan and vice versa. Catholics worked with Ronald Reagan. They voted for Ronald Reagan. Um, most of them, or at least many of them, many of them worked for Reagan, and many of them twice voted for Reagan. And many of them like Reagan's ideas and policies, but I don't think even Catholics realize just how much Reagan's core guiding principles um, reflected and embraced and followed uh, core Catholic principles as well. Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.